There is no other ground worth standing on. Everything else is sinking sand. It is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And it is so good to be with you. You know, I really enjoyed our Christmas celebration and I, I, I loved our 21-day initiative in terms of sharing the joy and trust that you got your pray watch list and your alarms are going off at 9.38 as we bring uh, Jesus to the world. But I tell you, I'm actually ecstatic to get back to the way we typically do things. And we take breaks from the focus on series that we believe will be good for us. But we're back in the Gospel of John and just preparing this week. You guys know you pay me to read the Bible. You guys get that? And I just sit there and my prayer every Sunday is as I hear the voice of God, my prayer is that you as we go through this here, as you do your own reading, as you meet in your life group, that, that you have the same thing. God Almighty talking to us. It is still the best deal I, I, I know. So we're going to deal with all of John 14 today because we want to get to the crucifixion and resurrection at Good Friday and Easter. So we're going to be taking some bigger chunks and, and we're going to deal with a whole chapter today. So here's the quick review of where we've been. The first 12 chapters were Jesus' public ministry and he's doing all that stuff. You remember that. Then we got to chapter 13 before Christmas and through chapter 17. We're in 14 today. Is Jesus' the Last Supper? All these chapters are Jesus sharing with the disciples and then with us these ideas that are critical to who they are as followers of his, critical to us in terms of being followers of his. It's a meal where he dumps a boatload of stuff. Now, I said boatload. I said that several weeks ago, and I said I, I had three people tell me I can't believe you said buttload. If I say buttload, I will say buttload. I said boatload, just to be clear in terms of you hearing me. And so as we got into 13 at the Last Supper, we had Jesus washing the disciples' feet. This is how I want you to live. This is what it looks like in my kingdom. You serve others. He, pre he predicted Judas' betrayal and Judas left. Then he wants these guys to get it. If you love me, here's the primary way it'll be seen. You're loving others. Here's how disciples and followers of Christ live. A new command I give you, that you love others just as I loved you. We love others as Jesus loves us. I'm just telling you, if the church in America got this, we would have a different reputation in our country. If the church in America got this, my conviction is there'd be more people out there that would want to love Christ. All right, chapter 14. Three big ideas. I'm going to read through it once. You got questions, call me, call Stephen, call anybody. Three big ideas in this chapter. I'm going to pull them apart. First one is Jesus has a place for us. Heaven, it's called. And we're going to live there for eternity. Second big idea, Jesus is the only way. 
Third big idea, which we're going to spend most of our time on is, before we get to heaven, what, do, what does Jesus' kingdom look like in that time before we get there, before he returns? You all with me? We're doing a lot of verses. Here's my fear that you'll tune out. And I understand. My voice is fairly obnoxious. My thoughts, not that insightful. I get it. But we're primarily looking at the words of Jesus. So, Father, whatever we've got going on in our lives, whatever we've got that's good, thinking about a football game, I pray that you'd speak to us. Father, this privilege of speaking on your behalf is something that is beyond me. Pray you'd use me, but ultimately I pray we'd all hear your voice. That's my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Now these first two points, Johnny actually preached last fall. And I'm encouraging you to go back there. He did a great job. I'm just going over them. I'm going to go over them very quickly because they're foundational for what he's going to say at the end of the chapter. What he's going to say about this kingdom now and how we live now is founded on these first two ideas. The first one, Jesus has a perfect definition, destination for us. And he's going to prepare that destination by going to the cross. He's less than 24 hours away from being crucified. That's where he is. That's when he's talking to these guys. So we've got to see this in that context. Let not your hearts be troubled. We love Jesus. I love this guy. He's going to be going to the cross in fewer than 24 hours. If there's anybody that ought to be being comforted, I would suggest it be him. He's been talking about leaving. The disciples are upset. They're bothered. They're anxious. They don't know what's going on. He's about to be crucified. And what does he do even in that context? Comforts these others. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Here's the key for the disciples and for us. Believe in God, believe also in me. Now, we're going to pull this apart. Here's the problem. They still don't get who he is. They still don't get that he's God. We're going to see this in the text. So you want the foundation? Believe in God, believe in me, because I am him. They don't get it yet. In my Father's house are many rooms. They already exist the point is here, there's plenty of room for everybody that's going to love Christ. He's got plenty of room. You're not going to get left out. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus isn't in heaven with a hammer and a skill saw. The place already exists. He's going to the cross. Because there's no other way for them to get there except through him going to the cross. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And what he's talking here is about the second coming. This is a popular verse at funerals. I probably preach this text because families want it at funerals more than any of the others. It's appropriate. But here he's talking about his second coming. Got this place, come back. Now, we go to be immediately with him when we die, but that's not primarily what this text is about. 
though it be true. Jesus has the perfect destination for us. Now, I borrowed this illustration from Francis Chan some time ago, so you guys remember it. And I just think Francis came up with a great illustration. Some of you guys remember this? This is what this text is about. Now, the white part is eternity. I want you to imagine that white part goes on forever and ever. Now, it's a 50-foot rope if there are those engineers in the room wondering how long it is. But I want you to pretend that it actually goes into eternity. And I know who you are. I see you. How long is that rope? Anyway, <laughs> this is eternity. This red part is our life. Now, you young people, when I was your age, I didn't think about this being fast. No one doesn't feel that way. You look at a guy like me and you go, it'll take me to get ever to get as old as Todd. I got forever to get that old. Let me tell you, it goes like this. And, and, and what do we do? We end up working really hard to enjoy this part right here. Here's what Jesus says. I got a place for you. And there's room for everybody. That's the first big idea. Second big idea, Jesus is the only way to this destination because he's the Savior. So if you're here today and you're still trying to figure out whether you love Christ or you've been walking with him for a while or you've just been walking with him for a long time, I don't care. If this text isn't helpful in these words of Jesus, I really don't know how to help you. And in one sense, it's a summary of the whole big idea, but we got a place waiting for us. It's the foundation of everything else. I'm going to tell you already what he's going to say. Living in here is with the view of this. That's the key to living here. Because Jesus is the Savior. Pick it up at verse 4. Jesus promised, I'm going to come get you guys. And you know the way to where I'm going. Why do they know the way? Because they know him. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. They're still seeing this very literally. We don't know where you're going. We don't know what that destination is. So how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him these words that I love. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Appropriate understanding of who I am and what I've done. And then beyond understanding, treasuring, following Falling in love with Jesus, making him the greatest treasure of our life. Oh, that's good. Because he is the Savior. But here's a key idea in here as well that the, the, the disciples still don't have. He's the Savior and he's God. An accurate understanding of who Jesus is essential for our being saved. Jesus just said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father through through me, but he says to these knuckleheads, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, from, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Does anybody remember how this book started? What were those first words? In the beginning was the word. And the word was God. And the word is God. This is essential theology. Essential if we want to enjoy this white part of the rope. 
we got to get this stuff right. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. It's enough for us. I think his request is similar to Moses. Moses said, show me your glory. Now, I think he's pretty selfish. He's already seen a burning bush. He's heard a voice from heaven, and he wants more. I believe that kind of selfishness is what we all ought to have. Give us more of that. Now, you remember God put him in the cleft of a rock, and he essentially showed him his rear end because he couldn't see the essence of who he was and live in an unregenerate, in an unsaved state. But here, again, what's pointed out, the disciples still don't get it. If you'll just show us the Father like Moses saw him, then we'll actually get it. Jesus said to him, I've been with you so long and still, and you still do not know me, Philip. Please hear the disappointment in Jesus. There's God, he's omniscience, he knows exactly what's going on. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak in my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. You still don't get it. You want to enjoy this white stuff. Life with God eternally, Jesus is the only way but having an accurate understanding. I was playing golf Friday, and I, I got uh, matched with a guy in my cart. Nice young guy. Enjoyed his company from Utah. And uh, 38 years old, learned a lot about his wife, about his kids. Got a good life. Doing very well materially. So I've told you, I don't like to press people too much, but ask him what he did. He finally, about the third hole, asked me what I did for a living. And, and uh, he, I, I said, a pastor. Oh. So we went a couple of more holes, and I like to go slowly, but uh, uh, I asked him, uh, so do you have a church background? He said, I do. And I said, LDS, Latter-day Saint. And he goes, yep, that's my background, but I don't really follow it anymore. I, I, I really uh, didn't like all the ways it got expressed. Now, I can tell you from playing golf with him, yes, he is not following a lot of the things <laughs> that the LDS people say that, that they should destroy. Now, the way I work, though, is, is I don't want to force things on anybody, but I like to ask questions. So about 13th, 14th hole, I figure this stuff out in my head. I'm going to have about 40 to 50 minutes if the conversation goes someplace. And I said, so do you have a spiritual life now? He says, well, I'm still a Christian. I believe in Jesus. And I'm like, cool, that's very cool. Now, are you still following the LDS, Jesus? And he says, yes. And then I just share, huh, that's cool that you have a spiritual interest. I really like that. But, you know, for me, there's a significant difference between the way I see the Bible talking about Jesus and the way the LDS do. You know, I, I believe he's God. That's <laughs> always been God. LDS, as you're aware, doesn't really believe that. And my conviction is that Jesus really insists that we get that right. And I left it there and waiting to see, and then I just said, uh, uh, so, you know, you guys accept the Book of Mormon 
and I said this, which is true, I investigated the Book of Mormon, and I just didn't find it credible. So I decided not to use my view of God, Jesus, based upon the Book of Mormon and, uh, and, and that teaching. And my hope is that he just goes home and he just thinks about it. Now, I left it there. He could have kept the conversation going. Did he? So what did I do? I Hopefully a pebble in a shoe. I stopped talking about it. And then we talked about family and his business in the football game that's on this afternoon. Latter-day Saints, Jehovah's Witness, you got a lot of people named Jesus, are, are Roman Catholic friends. The whole Reformation is about how you get from here to here. We have some what I would call significant differences with our Roman Catholic friends who hold to Roman Catholic theology in terms of how Jesus' grace was given to us. We're never going to be smart, Alex. If there's arrogance in us, Lord, hit us across the head with a two-by-four. But it matters. And the reason I'm spending so much time on it, it feels like we're in a world where truth like this is just less and less significant. And as long as people mean well, they're okay. To get who Jesus is and what he did wrong, we're not going to enjoy that, that white part of the rope. Now, we're finally to the third piece, right? We got this white part waiting for us. The way is Jesus. Ah, this is good. Now, what's the red part look like for those who follow Jesus? That's what we're going to deal with in the rest of chapter 14. Because Jesus is talking to his disciples the night before, trying to prepare them and for us. So then what does the red part look like? Now, some of you I know are going to cringe. I got eight bullets I find here. He's going to make eight points about what the kingdom for us has looked like for those of us who are looking forward to eternity. Are you with me? Eight. So for those of you who are a little antsy and we're thinking about dinner, just be counting them as we go. So before we get to heaven, we're going to do even greater things than Jesus. How many of you believe that? See a few hands. You remember he raised Lazarus from the dead. I call that pretty big. Walked on the water. I'm sure he wasn't as heavy as me, but I'm still going to call that a miracle. Water to wine, five loaves, two fishes, you know the story. Picking it up now in verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. He's going to the Father. He's setting the time frame. He's done his ministry. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to rise from the dead, and then he's going to send into heaven. There's the foundation of our doing greater things. Now, the typical way this is understood, just let me tell you, when he says we're going to do greater things, he doesn't mean more spectacular. In case you're wondering about that, no, that's not what he means. The typical way this is understood by most is through all of us as the church, we're going to witness to more people than Jesus did. I don't think that's what it means. 
Let me give you a picture that occurred to me, and I got a commentator that I think just nails it, and I read him years ago, and it made more sense than anything else. Here's what he means. We got creation and then the fall. Adam and Eve and everybody since then has chosen not to find their greatest joy in God. He takes offense at that. He should. He's the center of everything, the center of joy, the center of hope. We call that sin with a big S. And we have small sins that are a byproduct of our sinful nature. And we're in trouble. Then Jesus enters the world in, 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 in roughly the beginning of where we consider our chronology. We talked about that at, at, at Christmas. And then at the end of his life, for about three years, he does this public ministry. Now, I'm going to tell you, he did some outstanding things. He did some spectacular things that we're never, ever going to do. Let me make that clear. How many people believed in him when he died? Almost nobody. We're going to look at the text again. John's been trying to make that clear. Not even the disciples got who he was. Philip's just asking, show us the Father. And Jesus essentially said to him, you guys still don't get it? I'm God. Did they get it yet? We're going to deal with it in the rest of 14. No. So how many people actually got it before he died? Almost nobody. Then guess what happens when he dies? Satan thinks he wins. All the Jewish officials think that he wins. And we've talked about it. The greatest moment of Christ's glory is on the cross. And that's when everything changes. Before the cross, everybody's sins still had not been paid for. After the cross, ah, everything changes. He dies, he rises from the dead, and he really initiates the power of his kingdom. Jesus does all this ministry, does all these spectacular things, and how many people really believe? Not until after the cross, when quite frankly, Jesus cuts us loose with the power of the kingdom, with the power of the Spirit, with sins actually having been paid for and forgiven. It's in that sense that we do greater things than him. Second characteristic. We'll do even greater things because we'll be empowered by Jesus. Don't ever miss this. After he's just talked about us doing greater things, because this is a verse I can't tell you how many times it's been misquoted. I didn't get the new BMW I was praying for. I prayed for my son to hit the home run, and he struck out. Whatever you ask in my name is those who are being unleashed in this new kingdom era. It's a present reality. Whatever you ask in my name in terms of promoting the gospel, <sighs> whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. 
We're going to do greater things, and we're empowered by Jesus. Your pray watch list. There it is. Lord, help these people come to you and use me to help them see the truth of who you are. What's Jesus' promise? This I will do, and the Father may be glorified in the Son, and if you ask me anything in my name, I will do a third characteristic. Obedience is the unmistakable and essential expression of our love for Jesus. I grew up, many of you have heard this, you know, ask Jesus into your heart and you're good. Say a prayer, say these words, come forward, you're good. Then you can pretty much live however you want. Obedience does nothing, nothing to earn salvation. But it's the inevitable expression of truly loving Christ. We go, he's given us all these commands that make our life better. It's like me marrying my wife and living like I did before I married her. That wouldn't make sense and wouldn't have kept us married. She wouldn't have tolerated uh, me dating other women. But we sit up there and think we can have this relationship with Jesus and not obey him. If you love me, it is this simple. If you love me, you will happily, joyfully keep my commands because you figured out what I figured out in my late 20s. I was already a pastor. He gives us these two these commands because we're not smart enough. I would say stupid, but the Holy Spirit controls me. So I said, we're not smart enough to figure out too often what's good for us. So he tells us what's good for us. I'm going to tell you, I looked at the Ten Commandments completely different because as a young kid, there was a couple of commandments in there particularly that I thought were keeping me from my joy. I suddenly realized I had a really shallow, short-sighted perspective on where my joy was. Those commands were there to make me happy. If we love Jesus, it just flows from who we are. And Jesus will never leave us as orphans when we talk about this kingdom. Because here's what they're wrestling with. He's preparing them right now. He's going to die, and then he's going to send into heaven, and he's going to be gone. They are in a panic. That's why he told them, I don't want your hearts to be troubled. But here's what Jesus is going to say. I got this place for you. I'm going to come back and bring you to this place. But even here, I'll be with you. Not physically, but spiritually. The question to some degree is, how much do we really buy spiritual life and how real is that to us? And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. They're not looking at this stuff spiritually. They're materialists. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Spirit of God in us. Let not your hearts be troubled. I got a great place for you. I promise I'm going to come back and take you there. Until then, you're going to do greater things empowered by me. And the Holy Spirit's going to come and going to dwell inside you. 
spiritual reality. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, this can be a tough one, come to you. Earlier in 14, and I believe this, and if you want to get more background on it, he's talking about the second coming. That's not what he's talking about here. Here he's talking about coming to the disciples right after his death and resurrection. Now, stay with me here. He's, it's a similar idea, but he's two different references. This one is I'm going to show myself to you guys again. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. I'm going to be crucified. They're going to put me in a tomb. I'm going to rise from the dead, but I'm not actually going to appear to those guys. I'm going to appear to you guys. A little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me after I rise from the dead. Because I live after I rise, I want you to have the confidence that you will also live forever. White part of the rope. In that day, when you see me after the resurrection, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Got to pull this apart. It's when they finally get that he's God. Night before, they don't get it. Jesus tells them, you're going to get it on Sunday. Holy Spirit in us, look what else he says. In that day will you know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. You guys know there's a football game on today? I will probably watch every minute. And I'll have to stop it at certain times to take breaks. If this doesn't get us way more excited than a football game, I'm at a loss. The Holy Spirit in us, Jesus in us. Physically, he ascended to heaven. Never leave you or forsake you. Thank you for allowing me to deal with this all week. I don't know where you are. The stuff could all be familiar, but I'm going to tell you, I'm old. I don't know how many times I've read John, read this verse, but when I get to sit and think about it, Jesus is in me. Now, my wife and family will assure you it's not always that obvious, but he's there. So have fun at the football game. Enjoy it. I'm going to. <sighs> he goes back to this theme. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. If we're not obeying Jesus, he's using that as a metric for us to evaluate whether we trust him and have faith. This is important to him to communicate to these guys. Genuine love for him and faith gets lived out. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. We've got the Holy Spirit in us, we got Jesus in us, and we're loved by the Heavenly Father.
How many of you are betting on K Kansas, uh, KC today, the Chiefs? How many of you are betting on, uh, uh, on oh, the Eagles? <laughs> it's going to be fun. This is one of the biggest events in America in this year. Let me tell you, it's beyond inconsequential in terms of eternity. Now, am I going to enjoy it? Every minute, I'm going to watch the commercials. Inconsequential. And Jesus' kingdom will be manifest in our joyful obedience. Here's the primary way his kingdom gets expressed. Not as they mistakenly expect. So Judas, not Iscariot, John here clarifying, said to him, Lord, is it, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us? He's following his reasoning and not to the world. Here's his question. If you're the Messiah, which we believe, and you're the triumphant king, and you're going to come back and kick the Romans all the way back to Italy, and you're going to establish your kingdom, how is it people aren't going to see you? That doesn't make sense. Because they still have a wrong idea of what his kingdom is going to look like. They'd spent three years with him. You want to talk about Jesus being patient with us? How patient was he with these guys? Three years. He's explained this stuff. Now they're going to get it, as he told them, after he rises from the dead. And Jesus answered him, don't miss this, because I think this is again back to that description of the kingdom that he's already been giving us. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Here's how people are going to see my kingdom. Through you guys. Loving one another as I've loved you. Loving others even when they're your enemy. This is how they're going to see my kingdom. This is how it's going to be obvious. Not fighting with them, but loving them. Standing for me, standing for my principles, standing for what I represent in all of culture, but doing that lovingly. He will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Started with he's prepared a home for us. We're going to get there eventually. Until then, until we get to his home, he makes his home in us. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. He's trying to make it clear to them and us. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. All these principles are foundational to us living in peace. These things I've spoken to you while I am still with you. I think directly here to the disciples, those, those 12. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all the things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, Jesus isn't saying they're going to have perfect understanding of everything when he says, give you knowledge of all things. That's not what he's saying. We've got to see this in the context. What he's saying is, you dunderheads, I'm adding the dunderhead. You understand Jesus actually say that. Me, I am so far from Jesus, but I would have probably said that to these. You dunderheads. 
After I rise from the dead, the Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's actually going to then finally help you understand, and then he's going to unleash you guys on the world with this understanding that comes from my death and from my resurrection. He's going to help those disciples now understand everything. How many times has John told us? I should have gone back and looked. It's three or four times in the book thus far he's told us as he's been writing, and the disciples didn't get it until after Jesus died. Here's what Jesus is telling them. You're finally going to get it. And Jesus gives us peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Whatever we're facing. He's got a place for us. Jesus is the way. If we know Jesus, we know the place. He's given us power here to promote these ideas that ultimately comes from him in this new age. Holy Spirit's in us. Jesus is in us. God has made his home in us until we get that. That's how we get peace. Where the peace comes from. Loving Jesus is trusting him, and he's going to end this on a note where he is trying to help these disciples understand more clearly. Loving him is connected to obeying him and following him. Just saying some words, going forward someplace, doesn't necessarily mean that that happened. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you, back at the beginning. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. If you understood what was going on, who I am, that I get to return back to heaven and the glory that's there, you would have been happy for me. But you don't get it yet. And your unhappiness and your worry and concern is evidence that you still don't get who I am and what I'm about to do. You heard me say, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And the Father is greater than I has been translated in a gazillion ways. we got several heresies that flow from people misinterpreting this. He's not as good as God. Here's what he's saying. I diminished the glory that I have as God in taking on this body. Paul writes about it in terms of this is where he humbled himself. He never gave up being God, but he gave up being recognized as God. I'm going back to the Father where he never did that. (laughs) Philip, you just asked earlier, hey, show us the Father and we'll be good because you, Jesus, ain't good enough. What sense is the Father greater than him? He never had to veil his, his divinity by becoming incarnate. If you understood who I am and that I get to go back to all that, you would be thrilled. And I've told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you'll believe. That's why I'm sharing all of this with you. I'm not going to talk, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. Judas is coming in a few hours. He's going to be betrayed. And uh, Judas is the emissary, ultimately, of Satan. But he has no claim on me because I've never sinned. You understand, Satan has claim on everybody until we come to faith in Christ. He looks at God and he says, look at them. They're a sinner. You should damn them. And God says, yes, I should. 
unless they come to treasure Christ. Then he has no claim on us. That's all Jesus is saying here. Satan has no claim on me. All this stuff's going to happen, but he's got no authority here. I am doing all this. But I do as my Father's commanded so that the world may know that I love the Father, that they may get a picture of God, they may get a picture of the gospel, and rise, let us go from here. So here's what I want you to do this week. Three things. Every time you go home, apartment, your house, I don't care what it is, for most of us it's probably going in the garage, hit a button, drive in. Oh, life is hard for we in the 21st century, isn't it? You go into that home, and I want you to think about two things when you do that. You ready? God's got an eternal home for me. Can't wait. Until I get to that home, this is his home. How good is our God? Every time you Google something to go someplace or whatever app you use to get directions. You guys understand how impatient I am. I live 15 minutes from my house, and most afternoons before I go home, I hit the Google thing to see which way will save me a minute and a half. <laughs> I don't go anywhere without hitting Google. I, I got a, a, a wedding this, this weekend I'm doing down Fallbrook. This morning I was hitting it to try and figure out timing and all that stuff. I don't go anywhere without that. Every time you use that this week. You don't need it to get to heaven. You know Jesus, you know the way. So every time you hit that thing, you go, Jesus, thanks for being the way and giving me directions to that eternal home. Lastly, he's taken up residence in us. The way his kingdom primarily gets manifest is through us. Starts at home. Starts at home. If you're married, it starts with your spouse. You have kids, right after your spouse, those are the ones. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit have taken up dwelling in us. Let's live like it. When you go to work, let's live like it. When you're talking to that coworker, that friend, that neighbor, whose views in this world we despise because they have nothing to do with promoting God's glory. We're going to promote his kingdom. Standing for his truth. Standing in grace and love. Father, you are good. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for sending Jesus into the world. Thanks for taking up dwelling in our lives. I pray, Father, that you would help us to feel you more. The truth is, when we trust you, you decide to make your home in us, with us. Oh, man, that is too good. We all have challenges. We all have problems. Father, this world is broken but we understand it's been broken since the beginning. But we live on this side of the cross and we are grateful. Empower us in your spirit. Fill us with your spirit. Baptize us with your spirit. And help us to live with that peaceful, happy, non-anxious presence in every circumstance, 
in every challenge because of the truth of who we are in you, Father. That's our prayer.